it's a journey of discovery of the why for yourselves. Both it of sure you. is. Very generally speaking, and this may not apply to everyone, there's pain and suffering in, in childhood of some kind. There's an adverse behavior that goes on that we react to as kids that uh, it may you know have the label trauma but it doesn't necessarily have to be that there's some incompleted or unfulfilled emotional requirement in early childhood that we form even as kids we go oh if i do it this way if i say it this way then it feels a little better that i'm getting the love, attention, support, understanding, recognition that I need as a human being growing up. I'm Greg Runny. And I'm Rob Reeford. And this is Mind Body Matters. Welcome to Mind Body Matters, where we discuss all matters of the mind and body. I'd like to introduce my producer, co-host, and my very good friend, Rob Reeford. Greg, it's so cool to be behind the mic again. <laughs> And uh, sitting across from you like our old days in radio. But we're sober this time. (laughs) (laughs) We're both sober this time. Not to say that we were drunk on air all the time. No, exactly. I can count a couple of times I was, but anyway. (laughs) It's very cool. I guess we should explain why we're doing a podcast in the first place. Well, let's explain why we're doing a podcast. Well, Rob... Uh, Even though I'm a therapist and I I know a bit about mental health, I have a lot to learn. And as they say, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And catching up with you, we realized we had a similar past. We're both recovering alcoholics. And we had a lot of questions about our own mental and physical wellness. Yep. A lot of questions, Greg. So to explain, we decided to get behind the mic again to ask people who do know the experts and Talk to people who have been on, you know, a a similar journey like us, but we agreed that we wanted to make this as real as possible. We wanted to ask important questions and uh, learn more in hopes that all of us lead better lives. Well put. And here we are, our first episode. Braden Clipperton is our guest today. He's an addiction specialist who will help us understand why not how people become alcoholics and addicts. And I've known him for a number of years, and recently I was talking with him on the phone, and I told him about the podcast, and he said, you know, you should do an episode about the why of addiction. Oh. And I, I think it's I think it's a really good idea, a great idea, but I don't want to discuss this as a, as a, as a psychotherapist, right? I, I don't want to wear that hat. So I just want to be me because, honestly, I'm not totally sure why I became an alcoholic, but I've got a pretty good idea. How about you? Uh yeah, uh, for sure. I, I, you know, I want to be authentic too, and I don't want to wear my voiceover guy hat. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to ask him, how does he know? No, no what? Well, uh, how does he assess people to know that they are an alcoholic? Well, he probably asked them, have you ever been so drunk that you crashed your car in a city hall? Sure. Been there, done that, wrote the book. Not to make light of that day for you. Okay. But, all right. You know, that might be a question he would ask. And, you know, if the guy says yes, chances are he's going to qualify, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> a bit about Graydon. He's been working in addiction for 30 years, mainly in residential treatment centers. A lot of people call these things rehabs. Yep. And he currently has a private practice online. He's also a recovering addict, and that inspired him to become an addiction specialist. Great guy. And he really, really knows his stuff. 
Uh, let's bring him into our virtual studio right now. Here's Graydon Clipperton. Hey, Graydon. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me. When uh, we were talking on the phone a while back and you mentioned uh, a topic about why people become addicted to alcohol and drugs, the why of addiction, I thought, it's a great topic, but how do I approach this? Do I approach this from my point of view as a therapist or my point of view as someone that is uh, a recovering alcoholic and addict? So as Rob and I talked about, I decided that I'm going to take off my therapist hat and look at this from the point of view of a, a recovering alcoholic. And even though it was like 30 years ago, I don't usually talk about it in public, but. Okay. What do you think, Rob? I, I would totally agree. Um, in our previous conversations, Greg, uh, we, we thought we have to be authentic. We have to maybe just go back to places where we didn't want to go to and uh, be real. Maybe talk about our uh, our past. Absolutely. And Graydon, you're going to be shocked about Rob's past. It's just, just boring. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to hear it from the perspective of our past experiences. And, and you know, when I was thinking about this before um, starting the show, like honestly, totally honest, I'm not totally sure why I became an alcoholic. I've got a lot of personal thoughts about it and professional thoughts, but my, you know, this is going to be an interesting conversation because I, I think it's a bit of a discovery uh, for me personally. As you know, the, the podcast is about the mind and body and what does the mind-body connection mean to you? I really think that it's a useful perspective to separate it. Uh, quite often with clients, I will separate them out deliberately and say, because they're going, I don't know when I'm stressed. I don't know when the stress begins. So as an example, I'll say, okay, well, the body never lies. So The body never lies, right. So always, you know, that's the trigger, that, that's the trigger start. So see if you can recognize when that kind of, uh, whatever it is, the tightness in the chest or whatever begins, and then you can start to identify those moments. So it is useful to look at that. It's also useful to look at the other side in what you're thinking about when you also have some kind of effect in the body. And I mean, there's all sorts of theories out there that say the thinking dramatically affects what's going on in the body. So it is useful to separate the two um, to kind of clarify a treatment path. Uh, but we all know that the, the mind is in the body, so they are connected. They're together. They they are together. It's just kind of odd why we separate it. In the intro, I, I, um, I, I, I talked about your background a bit and did, you know, did your biography, but maybe you can share with the listeners your experience working in addiction and especially in rehabs. Sure. Um, the uh, My journey began actually as a volunteer at a residential center because I was a recovering addict myself and wanted to volunteer um, to do the kind of what they call in AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step work. So, and that led to me being a counselor and getting certified in a residential treatment center and then moved into management and from there moved into private practice. Uh, can you explain to the average listener that probably has seen, seen a lot of movies uh, about rehab, uh, what is accomplished in, in a rehab? 
what are the misconceptions that we can kind of clear up here? Um, I think the first misconception is that addiction of any kind is a great leveler. And it doesn't matter genetics, what male, female, race, um, belief systems, um, how much money you make, what profession you're in. You get a great mix of people in. They're not the typical... I'm on a park bench with a brown bag um, or going in or going and buying bitters, which is 40% alcohol, by the way, or mouthwash. <laughs> uh, it's, it affects a ton of people in the world. And so we do the assessments coming in and yes, there's consequences that usually that's a common ground for coming into treatment of some what kind. What kind of consequences do you, did you see with, with people coming into rehab? One of the um, very common things is, uh, you know, they say addiction removes eventually everything, including to the point of death, that you lose your job, you lose relationships, you lose your Definitely, you lose your self-esteem. Um, so there's all range of consequences. Most people are saying, you know, my wife nags at me too much. You know, there's very common things or, you know, I got in trouble at work because I was absent too many times. There's kind of softer consequences where I get jailed or I get a DUI or something like that. So they, they come in and they receive, a, a depending on what residential treatment you're in, they, they get a treatment plan, they get a counselor, they get counseling sessions, they get group counseling with other folks in the, in the program. They usually get introduced to some kind of methodology, whether it's uh, the 12-step program or some other program, uh, some kind of, usually it's a cognitive-based therapy um, to help them to realize what it is that they're up against, to even just to break down that level of honesty and also to give them the skills and tools to remain in recovery after treatment. So that's the general path. Rob, was that your experience? You went to treatment. Uh, was that very much your experience as well? Yeah, uh, there's always uh, a reason it, it seems that way anyway. There's always a reason why someone goes into treatment. And as Graydon said, in my case, it was my involvement with the legal system. Okay. Uh -huh. I was uh, going through um, a domestic issue at the time. And uh, my drug of choice was alcohol. And um, I, I used to drink just to cover up uh, my problems. It was through the legal program that I was introduced to uh, a 30-day program, and uh, that's what got me introduced into the 12-step uh, program, as as Graydon was talking about, and um, and here I am today. Thinking back when I went into uh, to treatment, my route, and you probably have seen a lot of this, uh, Graydon, my route was just really severe mental health issues, really a severe depression, uh, panic attacks, anxiety, and then I went into the hospital first for that, still drinking, and then realized there's more to the to the issue. How often do you see that they come in because of issues of the mind, right? Uh, emotional issues and, and and mental health issues is is that pretty common, right? Initially, not, but always underneath. So sometimes it takes a while to uncover 
the uh, the mental health aspects, but there's always something that's been going on. For some reason, it no matter how deeply it's buried. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get into more into that, but yeah, that's that's extremely common. It really depends on where they are on the curve of recovery, whether they're still drinking or not, that they have some level of self-awareness that something has caused this and it's really deeply disturbing and this is how I've reacted to it and it's a real challenge. Uh, when we were talking in the intro, Rob, you mentioned that uh, you like to ask Graydon a question about like how how people are assessed. Like, how do you know a client is an addict? I, I guess I can go back to my own story. And again, I was, if you will, I was thrown in um, to my 30-day treatment, if you will, uh, because of the legal system. With what I was going through back years ago, they thought it would be a great idea that I actually sit down with some counselors and figure out what's wrong with Rob, okay? So so that w- that was the beginning. And I did my days in AA. And when I said I did my days, I never realized a 12-step program existed un- until I was introduced to counselors and ways of dealing with my addiction at the time. Uh, which, again, was drinking. It wasn't other hardcore drugs that I see on the streets these days. Like It's a totally different story. With me, it was just drinking, and all I was trying to do was hide and isolate by using. And that's when I started meeting the therapists, learning the 12-step program uh, and the 12 steps. And, you know, even if you have an addiction or not, um just that 12-step program that's offered by AA or any 12-step program, I would say it, it's a great program because it's a, it's a way of living life. We'll be right back. Mind Body Matters is brought to you by Audible and the hidden power of shadow work. Hi, listeners. I have something to share with you. I've read a lot of self-help books, but there's one book that I found really helpful for me personally, The Hidden Power of Shadow Work by Marcus Black. In the book, I found the part of ourselves that we'd rather forget is what's called your shadow self. I know it sounds ominous, but it isn't. By doing the shadow work exercises in this book, I learned how to understand and even embrace that part of myself. There's six activities and questions on how to discover identify, and get to know your shadow self. If you're ready to master your shadow and start healing from within, then get the paperback or Kindle edition of The Hidden Power of Shadow Work by Marcus Black. Go to Amazon.com. By the way, I like the book so much I narrated the audiobook myself. True story. It's available on Audible from Google Play and the App Store. And now, back to the show. How do you assess someone when they first come in, the first time they see you as a therapist, Graydon? And that's a really good question. Um, the initial way that I approach it is trying to get them to be as honest as possible with how they're acting. What is their pattern of addiction? Um, how often are they drinking? What are they drinking? What are the circumstances around their drinking to give them just so that it reflects back to them more 
maybe they haven't realized how strong a pattern this is. Then it's looking at the consequences of their behaviors, not just when they're drinking or doing whatever addictive behavior, but what happens other than that during the day when they're planning on and pointing out that there is an awful lot of effort <laughs> that, <laughs> that goes into using Yes, that I'm... actually ends up for some people, they realize that it, it becomes, it's almost like the first step where they, they start to realize, first of all, how powerless they are, that the uh, substance of choice actually has more power in their life than they do in their own life. And also pointing out, and this is the more important part for me, is the discrepancies in how they think they're doing and what they're doing in their life with what is actually going on in their life, whether it's a relationship or work or just even self-image, so that they get to understand in the assessment that this has deeply affected them in their lives. So that's the key. There is a ton of assessment tools. If any of the listeners out there are interested, they just Google addiction assessments and there's a whole bunch of them out there that are publicly available if they're curious for themselves. Well, if you'll excuse me, the liquor store closes in five minutes. <laughs> um, um, no, I'm just kidding. When Graydon was talking about planning, that is so true. When your life revolves around when the liquor store is open, for goodness sakes, well, I think you might have a problem then, you know, if, 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 if that's what you're doing, right? And if it's, you've been to this one two or three times already this week, you need to go to the next one. Because you don't want to get noticed, right? right. I know. I've been there, done that, wrote the book, and the yeah. book will be out shortly. Yeah. <laughs> I, re I remember long weekends, you know, getting close to the end of a long weekend going, oh, my God, I'm running out of alcohol. <laughs> and all the stores are closed over the long weekend, right? What makes me think about um, going into this topic about the why of addiction is uh, stereotypes right? The, the stigma. And I think I had a stereotype myself of what an alcoholic was. And that, that made it difficult for the person assessing me because I wasn't really totally convinced I was. But how often do you see stigma and misconceptions about what an alcoholic and addict is? Uh, how that holds people back from understanding more about why the person does what he does? Right. So I think, first of all, they don't want to know themselves, they're not willing to be honest with themselves about how um, it's affected them in their lives. They will perceive that they need to hide and keep secret even more so for themselves because they don't want to think of themselves as an alcoholic because yeah. how they think of it or any addict, um, how they think of it is that they are weak. They're, they're, um, not enough for some reason and they've got this stereotype like we said about the the guy on the park bench with the brown bag <laughs> or or buying bitters at the drugstore or mouthwash or whatever so it, there is a huge stigma around it they don't want to recognize it themselves there's a deep level of shame um, and probably guilt in how they've affected others so they want to keep all that hidden at the same time as they need relief, so they need to keep doing it. Um, so it is a stereotype is very strong. What's I, I just I have to add in there that 
the stereotype around addiction, I think, is way less today. That It's almost like some, because movie stars and people say they're in recovery and right. we, all, we all know famous people that are, declare publicly. I think there's a, a much more deeper stigma around mental health that is still not recognized and supported today, uh, even given all the stuff that's available um, that, I mean, there's a ton of information on addiction and there's lots of support around that you, that people can access. But mental health, I think, is still a stronger stigma. And the reason I mention that is because of, of what you said before, is that there's a mental health component to any addicted person. And that also adds into their the, the stereotype that we have is that they're they're crazy <laughs> and they're not crazy because they drink or use they're they're somehow deeply affected even long before they used so diving into the why of addiction does mental health issues do, do men, does mental illness cause addiction is that part of the why yeah and yeah uh, this is complex as you know, and which is probably part of the reason why you're, it's a journey of discovery of the why for yourselves. Both it of sure you. is. Very generally speaking, and this may not apply to everyone, um, but generally speaking, there's pain and suffering in, in childhood of some kind. There's an adverse behavior that goes on that we react to as kids that uh, it may, you know, be have the the label trauma but it doesn't necessarily have to be that there's some incompleted or unfulfilled emotional requirement in early childhood that we form even as kids we go oh if i do it this way if i say it this way then i it feels a little better that i'm getting the love attention support understanding recognition that I need as a human being growing up. So those, I call them strategies and they get formed. And we put, we, as we grow older, we get validated with those. And so we put more energy into it. And by the time we're teenagers, there's a separation. We start, we've already started to lose a sense of it's okay to be me, let alone who is that me? Because we're very busy doing what it is continually that gives us the love and, and support and attention and understanding that we do need as human beings. So that just continues. And the more energy we put into it, we are continuing, and Gabor Mate says this too, as, as we are ignoring the, the pain and suffering, we are actually creating more pain and suffering. So at some point, it is so disturbing, whatever the circumstances are, whether it's lifestyle, um, peer pressure or whatever, we get our first drink, our first drunk or first drug use or whatever it is, and we feel relief. So we go, wow. I remember that vividly. Well, I, I was just going to say, uh, Greg and I were talking about this the other day, Graydon. Do you remember the first drink you ever had and how, how did it make you feel? And when Greg and I were talking about the other day, it took me back and I remembered I was probably 14 years old and it was beer 
and it was amongst uh, peers and so on, but I had my first drink. And I remember Greg just saying to me the other day, how did that make you feel, your first drink? And I went, well, I was on top of the world. And then we realized what alcohol or your, your drug of choice could do and how it could cover up what you were speaking of earlier, uh, stuff that happened in my childhood. And all of a sudden, I was, I was drinking to cover stuff up. Did you know that you were covering things up? at the time or is that something that you you realized later on not at the time no, no but but uh, it's just funny how you mentioned that the other day was you remember your first drink and it's a question i always i i i ask other people who are in recovery it's like do you remember your first time what what was it like yeah i don't think social drinkers really I mean, all kids around that age, you know, experiment and they have a couple of drinks, but I don't, I don't think the, uh, what you would call a social drinker or, or someone that isn't alcoholic, I don't know if they have that experience. I certainly remember vividly, like I said, in like in details, who I was with. Yep. We yep. were in a, a friend's garage sitting in the back of this classic car. Yep. <laughs> all I remember, it had split windows. So I, I think it was a Corvette. <laughs> yep. I can remember that we're all smoking and the beer came out from uh, the guy had it in the fridge in the, in the garage. And, um, so it was cold. The beer was cold. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Oh, well, for sure. That's good. important. Right? Uh, yeah. What well, is, it is. <laughs> it has to be cold. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I remember the feeling of relief, right? Maybe Graydon, you can talk more about that. I, I felt that I don't think I was really understanding what was happening, but all I knew is that where has this stuff been? Because (laughs) I didn't feel the same way I felt before. Uh, The feeling of intoxication, there was no anxiety. There was no uh, self-consciousness. I really felt real. And I, I think for many years I was chasing that, trying to get back to that feeling of, uh, of no longer the self-loathing, no longer anxiety. And that's quite common. I don't, I don't know if I've ever met any addict who doesn't remember the first time. And what, ha- what happens? Like, is it something happened to the brain or how would you explain that? Well, it's just, yeah, it's, it's partly chemical, but most importantly, I think it, it is that feeling of saying, this is this is what I want. This is who I want to be, and it's the relief from the. Part of that is the escape um, from that. It's it is that's where we get the relief, and then it just continues. Like part of it is chasing that feeling again. So we want to think more and more about it. Put ourselves, our life circumstances, into position where we can do that more and more. So we end up drinking. Saturday nights, and then it's Friday nights and Saturday nights, and then it's Friday nights and all day Saturday and all day Saturday night, and then Sunday we go, oh God, I got to recover from this, and because I got to go to work or go to school or whatever on Monday, and oh, I haven't done this, and I've avoided that person that I needed to hook up with or whatever. So the circumstances, the um, the consequences of that start very quickly and we don't recognize what they are either we cover them up um we well all things are fine and it is 
a relief. So that just continues that, that kind of strategy. But what we've actually created is a lost self in that because... That's interesting, a lost self. I can relate to that. We become a medicated self, and that becomes our raison d'etre, that, that we need to be that person. So it's it's like we don't, and it's funny because with with a lot of clients, the first you know they say, oh, the first step is put the plug in the jug kind of idea, and I say no. The first step is give yourself permission to do this work because it is work, and it's really the only work that we're meant to be on the planet to do. You bring up a a good thing there, Graydon. The other thing too is. Um, the person who's looking for help wants to seek help. If you're not ready for help, if the help is there, it's not going to help you at all unless unless you want it. They say in AA, you have to want it in order for it to help you. Right. Yeah. You, you got to want to stay sober more than you want to not be sober. <laughs> yeah. So the permission is there. And I've seen people in treatment and I've had clients that don't believe that they're addicts. So you just kind of keep hammering at them with these, you know, what the same thing I began with at the assessment is like, what's the pattern here and what is, and the reason I keep doing that and what are the consequences? The reason I keep doing that with some of my clients is because some of them aren't addicts. They are, I recognize that there are temporary stressors that instead of going to get an antidepressant or some other kind of medication, um, they're just using alcohol temporarily for some circumstance that's happening around in their lives. Yeah, I think it was a medication for me. I, I, like I said, I had that anxiety, I had self-loathing, I had all these things going on. And uh, it was a relief, much like <laughs> taking the right kind of medication. So it it, it definitely did that for me. It, it acted yeah. like a medication. And it's important to note also that not everybody who grows up in adverse childhood experiences becomes an addict. They they all have strategies that they 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 do the same pattern of thinking, but they don't become addicts. They find some other way of getting that relief either by um, being involved in a so-called codependent relationship, um, through working to extremes, excelling in their whatever chosen profession. But those, those are people who may temporarily seek relief through some kind of drug of choice. And unless it's an addictive, chemically addictive substance, they can just do it for a month or so, and then they can stop. And I've had clients who do that. So, and and through mental health treatment, that's their way to go. Oh, I don't really need to plan on going out to dinner because I know I'm going to drink two bottles of wine. Um, I'm just going out to dinner, and if there's a glass of wine, then that's okay. And us as recovered alcoholics go, one glass of wine, that's abusive drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my wife uh, is not a drinker, so she will have like half a glass of wine, leave the rest. And I said, that's yeah. alcohol abuse <laughs> from my point of view, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't leave anything for goodness sakes. Drink it. What that, is that? That is yeah. alcohol yeah. abuse. Yeah. Um, I, I just have to say, 
I have one question for you, Graydon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where the hell were you 20 years ago? Uh-huh. I, <laughs> I don't know if I was the same person. Okay. 20, <laughs> also, Rob, the thing is, yeah. is that you could have met a Graydon back years ago, but how much in denial were you? Because I was in denial. Oh, yeah. I, I was the type of person that I didn't believe I was. Yeah. So, like, you, you must have been in denial. So someone like Graydon at that time, probably you would think he's full of crap. Well, I, in, in therapy, people always use the word trigger. So Graydon has triggered me. Uh, just like I, I, as I'm listening to his story and, and he's talking about people he has met. I'm sitting here and I'm sort of laughing because it's like you're preaching to the choir here. It's stuff that I've heard, but at the same time, where the hell were you, Graydon, 20 years ago, you know? I don't think they had the, the kind of integrative, holistic approach. Yeah. And very, actually, very few therapists and counselors do still because they'll focus just on the 12-step program, the, you know, the, the do's and don'ts, the pragmatic skills and tools, which is all well and good. But that's why I said to Greg, I'm going like, they never address the why of how this starts. And yet, even Gabor Mate, who I love, I think he's great, says that until you find the reason that you are finding relief, and I think it says it in one of the AA books as well, that until you find the reason why, um, you are actually subject to relapse continually. And that's, I think, one reason why we do one day at a time kind of focus. It's very mentally good to do that anyway. But um, so the other part, Rob, I think is is like, you know, they say uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So true. So, and, so, so true. Yeah. The, so and true. I think a big part of that is that it is an ev- it is an evolution. It is a transformation in recovery that happens. And until we have more and more increasing solid foundation of what that means for each person, you're not ready to have this stuff come out. It's not safe. You're not safe. You know, the, to have these demons start to come out, to, to think of, I've heard clients say, oh, my mom is like an angel. And, I, and already I go, red flag. We'll be right back. Mind Body Matters is brought to you by Pivot Design Group. Whether using an app, scrolling through a website, or looking at a logo, for many, design is a mystery. Who and how decided that something should work or look like that? Pivot Design Group takes the mystery out of design. Specializing in healthcare, Pivot uses a unique process called informed design. This insightful and data-based framework informs every design decision to create effective and sustainable experiences and services. To learn more, visit www.pivot.design. As you were saying um, earlier, I, I think Greg posed the question, it was like, Okay, what brought you, Rob, into recovery? Well, in my case, it was a domestic situation. Let's say it was court-ordered. But, I mean, wouldn't it be great 
if if uh, someone who was having problems could actually go see a therapist without having to get into trouble to be introduced to the twelve step program. If you I don't think they would realize that there was no. anything wrong if 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 bad things didn't happen. Like I I really think yeah. that I know your story. Yeah. I think if that didn't happen, your DUI and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it would have um, it would have woke you up. I don't think you would have seen. Uh, Seen, seen the light and, and, and see that is my point um i would i would hazard a guess at saying 90 percent of the clients that you have met over the years the only reason they had met you was either it was court ordered they had done jail time or or something like that but it's not like oh today I, i'm just going to go in and talk to a therapist because i think i need the help there was a reason behind the person going to see you in the first place yeah yeah they they have to have at least a sense of losing something if not that they've actually lost something a relationship a job something uh some some of the luckier ones get a sense that this may be part of some other bucket that they've got pictured like you said Greg with the mental health things that they're they're not sleeping well they're not they're losing weight or they're gaining weight or you know some of those other typical things but it's interesting cuz I do remember when you said that I flashed back to when I was about 15 and one of the people in my life his father actually said to me what are you doing like why are you so hard on yourself and I still remember that moment. And so that was actually, I think we all get seeds planted for yeah. us yeah. from certain people in our lives. And it could be just a moment in time that says, wait a second, there's another track that you could be going down here and going down this self-defeating track, whatever it appears as. Um, can be changed. I think what happens, though, is that we don't get uh, enough support and recognition of what to do about that at that time. And as teenagers, we're all susceptible to that. And I think we could be um, relatively open to going, yeah, I would like to feel better about myself without using drugs or alcohol. Yeah. But it doesn't happen because we're in a group of friends. We're we've already got plans for Friday night (laughs) and it continues. The other day we were talking about our first drink and I never realized this until I actually went to AA meetings and uh, talked to different people in the program. I never realized people's first drunk as they call it. It happened so early. Like, uh, I, I don't hear the stories of, oh, yeah, my first drunk was in when I was 25 years old. I'm hearing stories. It happens around age 14, 15. For me, it was 15, yeah. And, I, and I'm and i trying to remember back. Uh, I would suggest that I was probably 14 or 15 the first time that I had my beer. And I went, well, what a great way to feel. But uh, I, I never realized it was so early for a lot of people. And... Can I maybe suggest, Graydon, that like uh, at age 14, you're going through adolescence and that type of thing. Um, when you start realizing what's going on in this crazy world of ours, are you finding a lot of people that you've uh, given uh, your counseling to 
uh, their first drunk was around the age of 14, maybe 15, like early on in life as opposed to age 25. In, in Rob's question, I'll also tack on to it. Is that part of the why? Is that uh, the person drinks at an early age, therefore their brain isn't developed, or how, how do you see it? Mm-hmm. Quite often it's like that, but it can happen otherwise as well. Quite often I hear stories of college university pressures uh, that they haven't even drank really in their teenage um, life until college university. Until, they, until they've left home from their parents because they won't get <laughs> caught. Like I, I, like I remember uh, my first real job in radio was leaving my parents and I went, I can get away with this. I can go out and have a great time because my parents will never yeah, find and out. Yeah, and that can happen. Um, and I've also seen clients, not as many, um, that actually don't start until their mid-30s. And I've also seen clients who don't get into addict, more addictive behavior until they retire in their 60s. Wow. So it can happen at any point in time. It's not, yes, definitely if it starts earlier, then it becomes more ingrained in the uh, the strategies that that becomes the source of relief. Becomes habit uh, forming and, and... Right. Yeah, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, quite often it can, it can, I've seen it just as much go in different ages as well. Another question I want to, to throw in there, uh, just looking at time, um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I remember, and this is like way before I started working in addiction and in around the time that I was trying to get sober, someone said, if you drink enough alcohol or if you do enough drugs, anybody is going to become an addict. Would you agree that is part of the why, the quantity? And I think it's the substance as well. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. Um, there is, especially with Oxycontin and fentanyl and some of the uh, medications that they're using these days, it is so easy to become chemically addicted. Um, even quite often any of the uh, clonazepam, diazepams, that kind of thing. I was addicted to that. I was addicted to uh, uh, clonazepam. Right. So, and, uh, lorazepam. so doctors can prescribe that stuff, and it's none of that is supposed to be for any length of time. And I've seen people who've been on it for years. Yeah. And at that point, it is like you're looking at a year or two to get off of it. Um, it is so, and it's much more uh, a, a chemical reliance that the brain develops rather than uh, any kind of cognition. A psychological tie to it so it can happen that way um, crack cocaine is very much I've I've had clients that like one or two that just do it because of lifestyle they're into the gay community and that and, the, and that becomes part of the lifestyle and they get into it and then they can't get off of it or it's very difficult to get off so sometimes it's just chemically uh, charged um, alcohol is the same way, but it takes a lot longer for that to start to happen where you become, where your brain actually becomes dependent on the support that it needs to have that. You don't know how to do your life without having that feeling or planning to have that feeling in order to just do your regular existence. I was just going to say, I don't like anything that ends with Pam. Like, 
because <clears throat> I, I remember back when uh, I was treated for anxiety um, way back and, um, oh, the doctors thought, oh, let's give the guy some lorazepam. That's how I was introduced to it, too. Right. And, and I was introduced to it through a doctor. Now, that wasn't my drug of choice. My, my drug of choice, of course, was alcohol. But I mean, I, I remember quite vividly uh, the two or three week period that I was introduced to lorazepam. And that could have gone, well, it, it did, it did go south, but I'm just saying it, it, it could have gone way south for me. Mm-hmm. And I continued, you know. When you bottomed out, Rob, you, you were combining alcohol and... Well, the lorazepam that was administered, and you're not supposed to drink while you're on this stuff, and I did. And, you and, doubled and down. And I crashed. Yeah, it, literally, I crashed. Or like, I crashed my car. It was, it was a bad time. And it's interesting that bottomed out, because quite often, addic- addiction treatment focuses on that, and... That's why this topic came up in the first place, I think, Greg. Is, Focuses on what in particular? On, that on that the, you have to have a bottom or, or what, what The do you consequences. Yeah. The circumstances and the consequences from that that drive people into, oh, something needs to be different here. What is this recovery stuff all about? Can I actually live without doing this substance? Um, that kind of thinking. And a lot of treatment will focus just on that package. And the why of doing it is left alone. Even when they talk about relapse prevention, they quite often focus around pragmatic skills and tools. Don't, you know, don't go to that bar, don't do this, you know, where are your triggers, what are they? They don't get to, wait a second, this was predictable. Given the circumstances of what happened before, even before long, it's almost like, if you think about the planning that went into the Friday night escapade, whatever it right. was, <laughs> you were actually planning your first use long before it even it started when you were fourteen. Yeah. Something was something was there. There was a pattern of behavior and it's usually something like I can't face myself in the mirror. Because that's exactly what happened to me. Because I'm no good. The self-loathing. Yeah, Sucks. I'm no good. Yep. I'm not worth anything. What's the point? Anything I do is not recognized. It's it's not worth it. I'm a failure. All of those are underneath the deep deeps, which is why it's I mentioned Rob why it's dangerous because to start looking at this, those unless you have some kind of foundation of recovery basically um that and what that means is that i'm a good person yeah and i can forgive myself um unless there's enough of that yeah um you can't i i I never entertain um the why with a client unless i get that feeling that yeah they're they're pretty secure in their lives and what they're doing and in themselves and that, of course, includes relationships. I remember doing an assessment with one guy in treatment going, and he's going, <clears throat> well, my drinking's not that bad. You know, I only, <laughs> I only, I I only have a couple. He drinks more than yeah. I do. Just, and just and, a, and just I only do it, I only drink beer, and it's only on, you know, the weekends or whatever, right? And I said, oh, and I said to him, I said, um, What's your wife's phone number? Let's 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 see what she says about this. <laughs> I only 
I only drink uh, in days that end in A-Y. Yeah. Just so you know. So, you know, (laughs) that kind of, you know, and I mention that because quite often, and Greg, you and I have talked about this, and maybe we'll do another podcast, is the, the family doesn't understand what's going on. And the family oh, support is—I mean—they're just as messed up as as the. Per- <laughs> In fact, they, a lot of times they're more messed up because they don't get any relief, and they're left years later with this feeling that maybe they're going to drink again, maybe they're going to use again. Oh, this behavior is still there. I'm still getting yelled at for you know whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. So. It is, they call it a family disease. And it, oh, it and we quite often miss that point. So that in recovery, and I'm just doing it like when people start to examine the why, they need to really make sure that they're somewhat stable in all aspects of their life. That's important. I was also going to mention too, um, with a lot of people who are recovering, that's why uh, is it Al-Anon is so important. It's the the family understanding why the, the the family understanding why this is happening. Yeah, why why does he why does he drink so much and and uh, you know why is, why doesn't he just quit and stop if he's affecting us like it's this? it's not as easy as that. They're not the ones with the drinking problem or the substance abuse problem, but they go to these meetings about why their loved one. Now you're treating people who don't have addictions, but you're treating people who have to live with the addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And children of addicts. Or alcoholics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's two of my favorite books. One is called The Perfect Daughter, okay. because daughters quite often end up feeling they need to be perfect. And this is this is the behavior that gets recognized as perfection with sons the the book is called the silent sons like <laughs> we're supposed to be not heard which right. is the message we get so, or not feel right we're just not responding to the messages that we're getting as we're growing up so Anyway, I I do wish you both luck with your own journeys. It's it's really taking the focus away from the circumstances, maybe the four or five years or whatever, up to the point of stopping mm-hmm. and going into recovery and looking at before and what happens. Uh, it sounds like both of you have some little inclinations of that. Um, and I just advise anybody who's doing that, it's like, Safe, gentle, loving, caring with yeah. with yourself is absolutely key because without that, the journey, you know, it's almost like the serenity prayer, right? And I always point this out to people like, <laughs> you know, they always talk about having courage and wisdom and strength and all that. And I go, wait a second, look at the order of that prayer. And the first thing is, is having the serenity. To accept. Right. Forget about accepting courage to change anything. If you don't have the serenity, you are not safe. You've got, 
You you got nothing. You got nothing. You cannot you. look at, yeah. at at you know trying to separate things that you can change and things that you leave alone and any without having some sense of serenity, which means self esteem that you can look in yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, this is, this is a good day. I'm a good person, and I've got a right to be on the planet, and I'm got purpose today. Yeah. So, I had uh, I had a um, an uncle of mine. Uh, he's a, he was a doctor, and he used to always tell me, he says, Rob, you have to be able to get up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror, and love yourself. Until you can love yourself, you can't love anyone else. And that's why the other thing, too, I remember going through uh, AA, and they always told me, forget that relationship. Like, I know where you're, where you're going here, but uh, forget that relationship right now. You don't need it. And now I realize why they were saying that. You got to love yourself before you can love anyone else. You got to be good to yourself. Right? I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I heard that years ago, and uh, people were saying that to me. Oh, you need to love yourself. Well, as I shared, part of my why was I hated myself. I had I had this this intense self loathing that I'm not sure where it came from. It's no one's fault, but it was there. Yeah. And now that it's been a number of years in recovery, I like to share with listeners what life is like today is well, sometimes I may not necessarily love myself, but I do have a feeling that I accept myself for who I am today. That, that That's a big part of it. But in addition to realizing that part of my why was uh, mental health issues, I, I need to be on medication, so I'm on antidepressants and such. I need to continue that. But also I need to continue this journey of accepting myself for who I am, uh, my mistakes and things like that. And as you shared earlier, being you know critical with yourself, you know, and, and I, I'm less cr- critical with myself because I think that was part of the why of my depression, and the depression was the why of, of, of my drinking. I look at things a lot differently today, and I don't need to escape, but my journey, and I hope a lot of people get to this point, where they may not fully love themselves, I think that's everyone's journey, but to accept who you are and that you're a good person and that, you know, there's there's a, a lot of a lot of hope. Yeah. It's the, it's the way that... Uh... God made us, and uh, I, I guess it's the old thing: is just be happy in your own surroundings, be happy in the clothing that you have. That's my journey every day, anyway. I also, uh, uh, for myself, um, gratitude huge, huge for my recovery is that um, I can look on about the negative. That's how I'm wired. That's how I am as, as a recovering alcoholic. You know, what's the negative here? You know, glass half empty, half full, but to realize that, yeah, this isn't going well in my life, but I got to step back from this for a second and do a gratitude list and realize all these things that I have in my life and all the people that love me, I need to remind myself of that. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's extremely important. I agree. The gratitude. Yeah, I agree totally. It's a good way to gauge on how how you are actually doing in life. Like, uh, as you said, make the gratitude list. Um, be happy with your accomplishments. Be happy for what you have. Uh, a lot of people go through life and they don't realize how good they've got life until they actually look inwards and realize, I don't have a bad life after all. And 
It's one of the reasons I do what I do every day, Greg. Uh, um, I drive cab part-time. That job itself keeps me grounded because every day I never know what to expect uh, uh, by by driving people around. And I've dealt uh, with so many mental health issues. I've dealt with alcoholics. I've driven people who are totally spaced out on every drug imaginable. And I'm going... Wow, I guess my life doesn't suck as much as I thought it did <laughs> after some of the stuff that you see out there. Yeah, right. the universe is a lot bigger than we think. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's very wise, Graydon, very wise. Yeah. yeah. Um, just one other thing I wanted to point out, Greg, is just a, a quick thought around what you said about going in to yourself. Um, quite often I tell clients, because they, sometimes they don't recognize the changes in this path, in this journey of discovery and I say well and they'll point out to me something that their wife or their family or somebody at work or whatever has said or done with them and they go that's never been done before and I go that is so the changes that we do inside do get reflected outside always um, and and it's be, the reason for that is because as we do, and a lot of people don't realize that they compartmentalize their behavior, is that as we do one thing, we do all things. So our approach to ourselves, which is where it starts, that self-compassion and the gratitude you mentioned, we start feeling that more to ourselves. Then we have, like you said, Rob, then we get to offer it to other people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Without, Pay it forward. Yeah. We don't even have to do it consciously. It just happens. So I always go, you know, like people who are focused in addictive behaviors, especially on outside circumstances, they're always busy blaming the boss, the whatever. Um, I go, no, 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 no. This is all you. This is, you know, I got told early in recovery, it's an inside job. And it's an inside job. I, I never, sure. I, I've never heard that. And your only job is to get it right. Okay. So figure it out. Spend the time. Do the circumstances that you life throws at us and open yourself up to opportunity. There are no negative opportunities. They're, they're all just opportunities Yeah. to go wait a second, what am I supposed to be learning here? And I think that state of curiosity, like one of you mentioned, is like so important. Is yeah. like, like, you know, what is this day going to bring? Is like, that. that's a state of curiosity. That's exciting. That's that's how we, we're supposed to be as kids. And that can become your drug, is curiosity, right? Yeah, it's a totally natural state, though. It's it's yes. it's joyous. Yes. It's connected to the universe, and it gives us all opportunity for being, you know. And at the end of the day, we get to put our head on the pillow and go, "I am at peace with oh. with myself and the world." So important, like the ability to go to bed at night and be at peace, or as you said um, uh, earlier, be grateful for what you have. And I'll also add that uh, I realize now, especially in social situations, because that was very, very tough for me when I was younger before I was drinking. When I'm in social situations, uh, but just in general, I'm a lot happier now than I thought I was when I was drinking, right? I thought drinking made me happy. 
right? I, I, I thought I was having fun when I was drinking. Oh, I was and the now life, I was life of the party. Mm-hmm. I was yeah, the exactly. life of, I was the life of the party when I was drinking. Yeah. And looking back, you probably thought, well, you know, at the time you probably thought these were really happy days. Yeah. Right? But now uh, I realize that I'm happy, I'm content, and I don't have to to be on, on alcohol or, or, or drugs to to feel happy. And the last thing I'd like to add is that about social situations is is I was nervous when I came out of treatment as to what's going to happen if I am asked to go to a party or a birthday or any situation where there's uh, alcohol. How, how, am I, how am I supposed to feel happy and content and be part of the scene when um, I, I was just used to, to being intoxicated? I find now I en- enjoy the social situations. I don't feel the anxiety. I don't feel uh, what, I, what I used to. I, I just feel very, very happy and content and, and I, I feel bad that during those years, like 15 or 16 years, I drank because I thought that's how life is going to be. I have to be intoxicated to, to be happy. And, and, and today, it's not true. I don't, I don't need that. Oh, for goodness sakes, Greg. We were young and we were wet behind the ears. Yes, very we, true. We didn't have the knowledge that we have today. So have you guys felt that you're a little bit, you got a, little, a few more little insights into your own journeys into what absolutely. the why? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that I, uh, yeah. I took off my therapist hat, you know, to, to look at it and kind of reflect on what it was like and, and, and what it's like today. How about yeah. you, Rob? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's funny. Uh, the Mind Body Matters podcast is all about the mind and body and here we are giving out advice to everyone else. And it just, uh, as you said, uh, the change of hats today was uh, was a welcomed experience, Graydon. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. I always appreciate sharing this stuff because mostly, like I said with Greg, that I don't get to hear this anywhere. I have, it's so rare to hear any discussions around what happens before you start using it. Right, right. I, I felt I was an alcoholic way before I became an alcoholic. Yeah. That's the whole key, I think, of the discussion is that we have to understand that it, it, it has little to do with uh, substances or the kinds or the amounts. It has to do with how the person sees themselves in the world. Mm-hmm. And until, until people get themselves on that journey, they are subject to relapse because those, those triggers, those behaviors, those strategies can... They're so ingrained that it's very difficult to separate them and go, oh, this is who I am. This is who I think I need to be, but I don't need to be that. Well, I got to say, just uh, honestly, Graydon, you're a wealth of knowledge, and uh, I really, really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks very much, Graydon. Take care. Okay, thank you very much. What, yeah, what a great guest to have on uh, our first episode. What's your takeaway from from? Well, uh, it, you know, it, it took me back. It um, to be honest with you, I haven't sat down with a therapist in a long, long time. Like outside of our conversations, because you are uh, a psychotherapist. But I mean, sitting down with him and uh, it brought me back. It it, it brought me back about uh, you know. 
about what we're doing here today, mind body matters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and therefore the connection between the mind and body. I can only think that if I continued my ways back years and years ago, the abuse that I did to my body uh, with alcohol and so on, um, where I would be today, and chances are, I might be six feet under, or not have a healthy mind because of all the uh, assault on your body, eh? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when you're talking about the connection between the mind and body, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for me today and, uh, you know, if you will, what's left for me from this interview with uh, with Graydon is um, with all the abuse you do to your body with your addiction, it can really screw up your body. Absolutely. What I think about and what I, what I shared in the interview was what brought me into uh, treatment was mental mm-hmm. health issues. So uh, obviously there was something uh, of the mind that um, I was struggling with. Like I said, uh, you know, there was stress and depression and anxiety and panic attacks mm-hmm. and all these types of things. And uh, the alcohol relieved all that. But what happened was is that I got sicker of the mind because obviously anybody that, that, uh, drinks and doesn't take medication or worse drinks and takes medication for mental health issues. It just gets worse. As I, as I said in the interview too, uh, Greg, you know, um, I mixed alcohol with lorazepam. The lorazepam, yeah. the lorazepam was, uh, uh, prescribed by, uh, my emergency room doctor when I went in there cause I was having anxiety fits or panic attacks, if you will. And he figured this would be the best thing. But little did he know I was going to drink while on this medication. Mm -hmm. Probably not a good idea. No, no, I I did the same thing. And also, you know, during the interview, um, you know, thinking about also what happened to my body in time, because I'm not not even quite sure if I shared with you, but I was um, four years sober and I went to see a doctor um, okay. And he did an ultrasound uh, for my stomach and stuff like that. And he did um, an ultrasound of my liver. And um, he was kind of nonchalantly. He says, um, yeah, you still have um, a fatty liver. And I, I said, I can't have a fatty liver because I haven't drank for four years. He goes, it doesn't matter. So four years in, I was sober, but I realized the, the damage I was doing to my body. Once again, you know, <laughs> what propelled me uh, was to use alcohol and drugs to you know, steady my mind and, and, and address mental health issues and what was happening to my body. I didn't even realize at the time. Right. I, yeah, I, I uh, was on the way to having, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. Is that right? Yeah. Um, we have somewhat similar stories that never happened to me. Thank goodness. Um, how are things now? If I may. Oh ask? yeah. I should have said, well, um, I think it was about Six or seven years in, then I had to go back and have another ultrasound. And he says, no, it's fine. There, there isn't any uh, fatty deposits on the liver, liver. And that's the, like I said, the beginning of cirrhosis because, uh, you know, it, it it stops the liver as a filter from functioning properly. So thank God, yeah, later on it, it did. But it was like years. So uh, we, we've done we've done enormous damage on our, uh, to our bodies. Oh, yeah. And once again, the liver is the filter that, uh, you know, uh, filters out the toxins exactly. in our body yeah. and uh you know by alcohol abuse or and i also imagine too some other drug abuse um i remember uh being taken off a certain medication for my feet by my doctor because he said this medication 
will eventually screw up your liver. So mm-hmm. he took mm-hmm. me off, mm-hmm. he, he, and he took me off of this uh, medication simply because of that. He says, "You don't need this. Like, I mean, use other methods to fix up your feet. You don't need this stuff that's going to be so hard on your liver." Funny you mention that because I, I said to him at the time, I said, well, I'm on other medi- medications, so, and I, I knew what you're talking about. And I said, mm-hmm. uh, well, chances are, you know, I have a fatty liver because of the medications I'm on. And he kind of laughed at me. He goes, no, this is from drinking. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's a really good thing I, I stop when I stop. My big takeaway, and I was quite emotional about it when um, when I was thinking about it, Graydon was talking about, you you need to know what the why is for you. You need to know your why of addiction so that you don't relapse. And, and it's a really, really good point yeah. because the yeah. why of my addiction that I shared is the self-loathing. And that comes from a very uh, um, a very uh, uh, negative self-critic, you know, and, yeah. and, and my self-esteem. And still today, mm-hmm. sometimes that happens, you know, where mm-hmm. I just don't feel great about myself. I, like I said, I, sometimes I don't love myself. And I accept myself, but... Sometimes, you know, my self-esteem is low and I may think of an escape. This is what happens after a number of years. It's been almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. What happens now is that it's not like I, I want to go in and have a drink. I just feel that I want to get out of my skin and I want to escape with something. Yeah. And sometimes it's food. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I have a few extra pounds than you do. I never thought that of you where you needed to eat. But I also understand. It's called emotional eating. Yeah, and and yeah. I and I get that. And chances are, like I have a few pounds, I think I should uh, shed myself. And uh, you know, I fall into that. You group. said shed, right? Yeah, I said no. I didn't say shit. I said shed. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you had to. Sh- okay, sorry, I yeah. interrupted. Go ahead. That's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to shit out. Uh, no. <laughs> No. There's the honesty you're talking about at the beginning of the show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have to shit out a few pounds here and there. Yeah, I would like to lose a few pounds. And, I, and I've and i caught myself doing that, too. Uh, sometimes uh, food, uh, let's just call it um, comfort food. Oh, my God, yeah. And sometimes that's um, that's one of my hidden addictions. Well, what happens with me, it's comfort food, but also it's, uh, like I said before, it's a, about emotional eating. So if I'm stressed out and um, uh, I know that there's some junk food in the house, then that's what I go to, you know, yeah. whether it's something that's that's salty or sweet. But once again, I'm assaulting my body again, right? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, we all need food, but the thing is, is that if you're binging, if you're, you know, if it's about emotional eating, you're you're abusing food instead of abusing alcohol. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at nowadays, you know? So what you're saying is you're replacing one addiction with another. I could, yeah, if, I, if, yeah. I, if, yeah. I, if I'm not aware of it. And, I mean, that yeah. could be anything. It could be, you know, how I feel when I'm at the casino and I'm playing slot machines and I win some money. You know, there's, there's that chance of, um, of, of, of escape. But like Graydon was saying, this the whole why, you know, that happens way before we start uh, using our drug of choice. And so if I look back at, you know, to the kid before I was 15, you know, there was the stress, there was the anxiety, there was the um, social awkwardness, all these things that still happen from time to time today, yeah. but I catch it. That's the thing. I'm so used to catching and going, aha. I, I think that's important. What you're saying right there, Greg, is uh, as I get older, what I've noticed about myself is the awareness factor. Uh, being aware 
that this is happening to me. Um, and then you've got choices to make. Exactly. Okay. And if you're aware, that'll bring choices for you. So awareness is a very important part of the equation. I think back, you know, I'm a pretty intelligent guy, I must say for myself, but back then I wasn't really aware of what I was doing and I was doing and it was getting worse and worse and worse. But uh, as time goes on, uh, I guess with age, uh, you you gain a little bit of wisdom. But uh, all I have to say is I'm aware of what I'm doing to my body. And therefore, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you in conversation a few weeks ago, everything in moderation. Yeah, no, oh, I, I, yeah I totally agree. Know. I totally agree. Winding down yeah. here, I, I, I want to say something yeah. about Graydon. I'm not sure if you knew, but... Because I've known him for a while, and I, I didn't want to get into a long uh, a bio uh, regarding Graydon. But in, in the year 2000, he had a website that offered music downloads. And this was, like, just shortly after Napster came out. So, I mean, like— I, re- I, re- I remember Napster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Graydon was a, a business guy way before uh, he became an addiction specialist. And, um, I mean, he was, you know, teaching people about marketing and using websites and that. But he launched his own website— at that time, and it offered music downloads. He even had contracts with uh, like major record labels. So it was an it was an above board thing, as opposed to Napster, which wasn't exactly exactly. Oh, okay. I mean, he had a great All business right. model, a great business model, right? Where yeah. you know the 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 record labels would be paid, and and hopefully then you know the artists would be paid. But yeah. the thing is, as he told me, is that back at that time, no one was interested in it. And he he, wow. he couldn't get any uh, investors. So that idea went by the wayside. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then he kind of shifted gears and uh, and and then um, you know got trained in addiction, like you said, and became an addiction. Yeah. Uh, I I never knew that about Graydon. Yeah. 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 It's something that uh, he was telling me uh, a while back. I thought I would add at the end here. I should uh, I should add uh, for listeners that are interested in. Um, in uh, uh, maybe connecting with Graydon. Graydon is available online. And if you can, if you go to psychologytoday.com and you go to find a therapist and uh, you can actually search for Graydon Clipperton and uh, his bio will come up and there's a, there's a contact thing for him. But also um, you mentioned about AA. I think it's important for people that if, um, if you wanted to know more about yourself, uh, if you aren't sure, an AA meeting always is good because you're going to know either way, right? So we we encourage you to go online and, and, and look up Alcoholics Anonymous. They'll give you a listing in your area of where a meeting is. Yep. Uh, they have what are called open meetings and then closed meetings. Uh, when I first went, I went to open meetings because there are people in the room who aren't alcoholics. They might even be uh, friends or family of alcoholics, but they're allowed to be in there as people share their stories. Um that might be a good first meeting to go to is an open meeting. Oh, I agree. I agree. And yeah. uh, like you said, the family members can go there. But also, um, you mentioned about Al-Anon. Yes, uh, Al-Anon. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't know much about Al-Anon because I, I never uh, included Al-Anon in my family. But really, when you're trying to understand someone's addiction, especially family, people who love the addict so much, they need support as well just to figure out the why of of why is this person like this. So that's what uh, Al-Anon is all about. 
I think they probably start asking that question way before the alcoholic or addict does. Why does he? Yeah. Why doesn't he just stop? So yeah, um, yeah Al Anon um, is another resource that people can uh, can take a look at uh, online. Anything else you yeah. suggest for for the listeners um, to follow up on this episode? Look yourself in the mirror each day and love yourself, because you can't love anybody else until you love yourself. I'm glad you mentioned that during the interview because I was told that too, which is very, very yeah. true. And I don't think that yeah. I would have the relationship right now with my wife if I didn't work on that relationship first. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and, and yeah. you know, you get your own shit together and you get solid with yourself before you get into a relationship with somebody else. So that relationship with self was, you know, was a good point for you to, to, to make. And to be real. Like, I think that's uh, the other thing too is like, uh, I'm done wearing a mask if you will, okay, uh, in my life. Uh, that's why one of the main reasons why I'm doing this podcast with you mm-hmm. is I I want to be real with people. I want to get rid of the mask because um, for, for many years I was wearing that mask. And I think because I was wearing that mask, I was masking myself to wear that mask. Wow, that's that's bang on. I relate to that. Are you are you picking up what I'm putting down? Man, I'm picking up what you're putting down, and okay. uh, and then some. Um, okay. When we were we worked in radio, and this was this was in the trailer too about how it's similar to to actors where they're comfortable with, with their with their uh, on stage personality. I was very very comfortable with my my radio personality, and that was my mask, and it was very very comfortable. And it's interesting how I started in radio, uh, in around the same time I started drinking. Uh, me as well. That's another whole conversation. Okay, maybe we should stop there. Maybe we should stop there and say that for uh, for for some other I, time. I I think that's another three episodes in waiting. <laughs> some day down the road, I'd like to talk about our old radio stories. And, oh my uh, god! Imagine uh, that. <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, honestly, uh, Graydon Clipperton, our guest today on the show, as I mentioned earlier, what a wealth of information. Absolutely. Uh, thanks to Graydon Clipperton. If you like today's show and you like to get notifications of new episodes, you click subscribe or follow. Also, I'd like to thank artist Mel Coleman for her amazing art that she created for the yes, podcast and website. Yes. You've seen it, right? Well, I'm wearing the T-shirt right now. Exactly, right? You know, yeah, been there, done yeah. that, and you have the Mind, Body, Matter <laughs> I, T-shirt. The book will follow, but in the meantime, we have the T-shirt. So, uh, yeah, Mel Coleman, an amazing uh, graphic designer. She sure is a great artist. Also, uh, thanks to Stephanie Farkas for her insight and suggestions for this podcast. Thanks, Steph. Mind Body Matters is produced by Reefert Communications, and we will soon be back with another episode. In the meantime, be kind to yourself. And most importantly, be well. Thanks for listening. And if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, drop us a line at mb-matters.com. Be sure to like and follow us on all our socials. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe or follow and share with your friends 